Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, May 6th, 2010. sip of coffee here. Ah, uh, yeah. You're thinking, coffee? At this time, it's decaf. It's, yeah. yeah. You know, if I, if I were to have the caffeinated stuff right now, I'd be sitting in bed staring at the ceiling for the next, well, day or two. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I'm your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Listen, no Christian pastor has the freedom to just make stuff up when it comes to God. We have a Bible, and his job is to correctly preach and teach it. Or, as the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, to rightly divide or rightly handle the word of truth. So, if your pastor ain't doing that, then a couple of options. You could throw the bum out. But I recommend, before you go to that stage, uh, confronting him and calling him to repent and actually to put his... Uh, seminary training into practice and actually properly handle and teach God's word and to teach the full counsel of the word of God important stuff. And, uh, you know, and then again, if uh, neither of those two approaches work, you might consider finding a pastor who actually knows what his job is and does it and knows that his job is to feed the sheep that God has put under his care. Of course, Jesus is the, is the head shepherd and all pastors are, are under shepherds of the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. Their job to tell you the truth about God, to reveal what God has revealed in his word. And you're saying, well, we have a Bible. We can just read it. Yeah, I I understand that. But uh, God himself has set aside one day a week where we could rest in his word, rest and hear what he has to say and receive the gifts that he has to offer us. And so if your pastor ain't doing his job, and it's Jesus Christ who set up the office of the pastoral ministry anyway, if uh, your pastor ain't fulfilling the duties of the office of the pastor uh, as laid out in Scripture, and if you want to find him, you'll find him in the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and the book of Titus. If your pastor ain't doing that, he's not doing his job, he needs to be confronted. If he won't repent, you either throw him out or leave, uh, or you leave, one or the other. If you can't throw him out, then, you know, well, it's, uh, by the way, the uh, purpose-driven guys, they're, they're, um, 
They're like an incurable disease. You can't get rid of them because the first thing the purpose-driven guys do when they take over a church is they change the structure of the church so that they're, you can't get rid of them. Uh, they are completely, uh, they, you know, they've created a firewall so that if you complain, you're the one who has to go and they get to keep doing what they're doing. It's just kind of the way they set things up. Anyway, uh, today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Talk about, um, purpose-driven pastors. Um, if you remember last week, we played the audio from the latest, um, expose by Brett Ship down there at uh, K, uh, not K, WFAA in uh, Dallas Fort Worth, uh, Texas. And uh, Brett has, you know, the other shoe has fallen. And, you know, uh, here's the deal it's it's just really clear that um, Ed, uh, the Ed Young Jr., ha- he, he ain't be telling the truth. That's bad grammar. But he hasn't been telling the truth about this airplane. And, and as a result of it, he's slowly had to kind of, well, tell the story, if you would. And so what we're going to do is uh, Ed Young's spin machine has whirled into action. And uh, Ed Young Jr. is, uh, well, he's got a set of new videos up on his blog, supposedly setting the record straight again. Um, good night. And uh, so we'll be, we're going to be listening. This one's not going to necessarily be biblical discernment, but more like listening with discernment. And listen carefully to what you hear, because um, it's it's not exactly what Ed Young says. It's what he doesn't say that kind of um, tells the story. And uh, and then we've got a story from the Huffington Post, my new, my new favorite newspaper. Good night. What a cesspool that thing is anyway the name of the uh the, the story is evangelicals and gays why can't we all just get along yeah that's the rodney king approach can't we all just get along <clears throat> and uh and then right on the heels of that we've got a story from the christian post uh the united methodist church has re- rejected structural changes that would in- basically allow for all-inclusive membership, and this is about homosexuality. Now, if we have time, we'll get to the story today. The the ELCA on their official ELCA.org website has uh, thrown down the gauntlet and just come right out and attacked uh, the uh, Lutheran pastors in Lutheran Corps. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to this one today. So this is kind of the, uh, you know, this is on the on, on deck circle. Not it, It's kind of bad in cleanup, if you would. By the way, talking about baseball, I, I've been, I, it's, uh, I'm frustrated. Okay, uh, let me tell you why I'm frustrated. It's because, <laughs> because the Dodgers are not doing well. They're sucking wind. Okay, there you have it. Okay, so here... You know, here I am being a, a faithful fan. I mean, I'm in cornfields in Indiana. This is where I live now. I don't live in Southern California anymore. I've moved to the cornfields, the great plains of the Midwest. And um, but being a loyal Dodger fan, I mean, I've been a Dodger fan since I was um, it's, it's elementary school. I mean, third, fourth grade. That's when I discovered baseball and Anyway, um, so here I, I'm being a faithful fan, and the Dodgers are letting me down. Just, you know, want to let you all know that. <sighs> I, I feel better now that I've gotten that off my chest. I, You know, that's the thing about the Dodgers. It's always been a love-hate relationship. And here's the deal. You want to know who it is that got me hooked on the Dodgers? It was my grandpa. 
Okay? And every time – my grandfather, by the way, uh, he lived in uh, in New Hyde Park on Long Island. And uh, he grew up during uh, the Depression, Prohibition. In fact, he was arrested because he was working at a speakeasy in, in Brooklyn. But my grandpa was a Dodger fan back when you know they were in Brooklyn. And so every time my grandpa would come out uh, to visit us when I was growing up, we'd always go to a Dodger game. And that's really when I, you know, he's the one who introduced me to them. And so, the, so my, <clears throat> my fidelity to the Dodgers is kind of one of those things where there's some nostalgia there because, you know, I miss my grandpa. He died when I was in college. And, um, so I, I feel like I can't dump the Brooklyn Dodgers, but, I do remember my grandpa basically saying, you know, the, the, he expressed frustration at the Brooklyn bums, as he called them. So I, I'm I, somehow the more things change, the more they stay the same. Apparently, this is some kind of a family genetic disorder that we root for the Dodgers. I know I'm going to get email on it. Just talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. I understand you Cubs fans, you know, who are here in Indianapolis and email me i know and no i'm not gonna switch to the cubs when was the last time they won the world series dodgers have won well never mind (sighs) (laughs) i'm in one of those moods okay that's what basically what it boils down to i uh good workout today just i'm feeling good and you know finally getting over my weariness and looking forward to a couple of days off Anyway, so, all right. So, okay, so we're going to do the Ed Young Spin Machine. Okay, oh, yeah, and sermon review today. Our sermon review comes to us via Scott Hodge at the Orchard uh, in the uh, suburbs of Chicago. And the name of the sermon is The Ultimate Question. The Ultimate Question. Now, now this is not referring to the ultimate question, uh, you know, the uh, life, the universe, and everything from uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. However, the subtitle of the ultimate question sermon is uh, your time. Um, you see, I, I think that in the scriptures there is an ultimate question asked. And the, the question is asked by Jesus. Who do people say that I am? And then, then who do you say that I am? See, Jesus asking us, who do you say that I am? That I think that's the ultimate question. I wonder if that's where Scott Hodge is going to go with this, although it does seem to be something about time management (sighs) yeah so this i mean i i just seriously doubt that time management has anything to do with the ultimate question by the way the answer is 42 um (laughs) so there you have it okay so we're gonna dive into the program proper please make yourself comfortable your listener experience is very important to me and i don't want you to have a bad listener experience so keep that in mind uh, as you uh, as you set down to enjoy the program um just some some normal in fact i gotta gotta go through our routine here number one if you're in a cold weather climate we have found that uh you know if it's winter in your part of the world or cooling off uh fuzzy bunny slippers do have a tendency to be able to enhance your listener experience. Adult beverages do enhance your listener experience. However, keep in mind, the biblical prohibition is against drunkenness, so don't take it too far. Um, and, you know, and uh, we don't have a problem if you listen to the program while mowing your lawn, while on a treadmill, an elliptical. Uh, I even got an email from a gal who listens while she's in the pool swimming. So, 
Um, there's technology out there that allows you to, you know, listen to an MP3 player while swimming. So uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, so don't have a problem with that. Again, if, and if you're uh, driving into work um, or, or you're commuting home from work while listening to the program, please keep your eye on the road. Just again, this is that's a free public safety message for me to you. I just want to make sure you get that. All right, so diving into the program uh, proper, Ed Young, on his uh, website, edyoungblog.com, you can find it at www.edyoungblog.com, he has a series of videos, his spin machine has whirled into action, and now he's sort of, kind of, sort of, kind of responding to uh, the stuff that was, well, brought to light by... Brett Ship uh, from WFAA. By the way, wanna want you all to know, I've had several conversations with Brett Ship. I've had dinner with Brett Ship. Just want to let you know. Uh Brett Ship, WFAA, the guy's a Christian. Just want to let you know. He attends church. I just want to let you know. So uh, just I think that is going to be important as we um, listen to Ed Young's spin machine whirling into action. Uh, here's Ed Young. Just a few minutes ago, you mentioned some negative yeah. that's happened here at Fellowship mm-hmm. Church. And, and I thought you did something that was bold and, <laughs> and I've never seen it done before in the local church. And I think pastors can learn from that whole experience that you went through. Can you just share with us a little bit about yeah. how you handled that well, within we the had, context we just of the had some, um, We said some negative stuff. We had some other negative stuff along the mm-hmm. same lines mm-hmm. um, about fellowship. And, you know, they, they had mentioned, for example, me personally, um, that I utilized private aircraft, which uh, we have done uh, since about 2001, yeah. 2002, I think. And, and um, basically, I would not have been able to do what I've right. done over the last whatever five or six years, seven years, have we not utilized private aircraft? Um, I've, I've had the opportunity, we, I, have had the opportunity to speak probably to over 200,000 pastors and leaders. Awesome. Okay, I want to point something out here. In Brett Ship's report, okay, and if you want to see the report, go to a little11.com. I have both of Brett Ship's uh, videos posted at the Museum of Idolatry. Ed Young, it, he's not telling you the whole story number one if you if you remember how this thing unfolded three months ago there was a former employee who blew the whistle on ed young because ed young was had it basically has a private jet that the church is leasing and he didn't tell anybody at Fellowship Church that he was utilizing his. And as the person on staff basically said that uh, he was told while he was there, there is no airplane, it's a lie, and it turned out to be absolutely true. So there was a cover-up by Ed Young. Ed Young didn't want the general public, didn't want the folks at Fellowship Church to know that the, he was utilizing a private aircraft. Now, after that came to light, Ed Young told everybody at the congr- at his congregation at a Saturday night service that he doesn't own a private jet. He's, quote, leasing it. By the way, which is just silliness. Okay, why? Why is this silliness? Because leasing is, a, is one type of ownership option. 
okay? So to say, well, we don't own it, we lease it, is just ridiculous. And when you count up the amount of money that it costs to maintain a $8 million private jet, we've got problems. Now, add to this mix that Brett Ship. oh, and by the way, I've seen the FAA documents. Yeah, I want you all to know this. I've seen these FAA documents. Uh, Brett Ship uncovered basically... These, you, know, you, can, you can petition the FAA and ask for the records as it pertains to this specific jet and find out where it's been flying and where it's been staying and all this kind of stuff. And Brett Ship found out via the FAA that Ed Young has been using this private ministry jet to fly to exotic locations. And he's been using it to commute back and forth between uh, Fellowship Church in Texas and Miami. And you're thinking, well, doesn't he have a congregation in Miami? Turns out that he does. He has a – there's a, a, a multi-site uh, at in Miami. The problem is, is that Ed Young, um, well, he don't be preaching there. In fact, his sermons are fed to that satellite campus via – uh, satellite video feed. And so, you know, in in the last couple of years, Ed Young has made 50 trips in his private jet to Miami. 50. How many times do you think uh, Ed Young has been the been preaching in person at the Miami campus of those 50 trips? If I told you it was less than Fifteen times, would you believe me? If I told you it was less than ten times, would you believe me? Well, I actually received an email from a gentleman by the name of Gary. Gary emailed me and he says, as a former member of Fellowship Church Miami, um, I've read a few times that Ed has only preached two times at the Miami campus within the last three years. However, that is untrue. I can't give the exact number, but it's really more close to around six to eight times. Definitely not enough, but it's more than two times. A close friend of mine has personally seen Ed and Lisa running near their million-dollar condo in Miami many times, so all the reports about how often he has been to Miami are quite true. Yet you very rarely see him at church. Having volunteered at church numerous times, I do not recall seeing him physically at the Miami campus outside of a few Sunday mornings and one Friday night for a special event. Uh, Lisa Young does come for the flavor meetings, and I have personally uh, been to the Kendall Ta Miami Executive Airport where Ed's private jet flies into regularly. I was assisting a staff member in bringing Ed's personal car from the airport to the church the staff member made it feel like hush hush thing that we were doing ed didn't want people to know about his jet plain and simple but i've known about the jet for about two years now and whenever ed was known to uh, to be coming into the campus uh, the staff would run around like mice not knowing the tom uh, knowing that the tomcat is near he he was clearly the big man that had to be pleased. Ed demands perfection, and perfection is what he says it is. 
he's 100% in charge of everything that happens at all of the campuses. And the Miami camp- campus, I've witnessed people practically uh, get ousted for stupid reasons, all of which stem from a disagreement with the church leadership. Some reasons include wanting to start a Bible study with church members, accusing the staff of dishonesty and not volunteering enough. There's even a couple of uh, even a couple who was refused a sacramental act because they didn't volunteer enough. Uh, when the original news report came out in early February, the, the Miami campus was kept in the dark. Unless you watched Ed's blog, you would have no clue that the report had aired. The Miami campus always has their Sunday service brought in by satellite feed. That particular morning, the the week of the original report, when Ed came on the screen, the crowd gave him a standing ovation. Uh, then he proceeded to say something along the lines of it, uh, of it being a difficult week. And then the feed went black. And the Miami campus pastor came forward to buy time. After claiming Satan to be responsible for the satellite feed being interrupted, uh, several minutes passed. And then the feed came back. And, of course, Ed was just beginning his normal sermon. Therefore, it's clear that Ed's response to the report is what was uh, skipped entirely at the Miami campus. So it was very obvious that the Miami campus was being kept in the dark. In all, Fellowship Church has done some great things for many people. Ed is a great communicator as well, but the church has some serious issues, and it all starts at the top. I'll put it like this. Ed lives in luxury, but Jesus did not. How is this pastor being Christ-like? That's from a gentleman who identifies himself as by name as Gary and a former member of the uh, Miami Church, of uh, Fellowship Church, uh, Miami. And uh, so, Ed, how many times does Ed, you know, of the 50 trips that he's taken to uh, Miami on the private jet, According to a former member, he's only preached somewhere in the neighborhood of six to eight times, not even close to 50. Here in North America because of that. And due to the fact that I have four kids, that I'm speaking multiple times uh, during the weekend, uh, we got to a point where we said, okay, we're either going to take this message outside the walls or not. So uh, for us, after we talked to our board, after we talked to a number of other Christian leaders, I say number, uh, five or six, who utilized private aircraft, we said, okay, we're going to do it. So here he is. He's basically trying to justify at this point. Well, listen, I've been utilizing private ministry. I've been using a, utilizing a private jet, you know, since 2002. We were doing charters, and then we, you know, we, and it, I wouldn't be able to do the ministry work that I did. He's not using it for ministry for the most part. He's using it for pleasure. Now, I'm sure he has used it to fly to ministry events and to conferences. How many conferences do you think he speaks at, though? By the way, uh, when he appeared on the Colbert Report, uh, Ed Young flew there in his private jet, despite the fact that the Colbert Report, well, they would pay for him to come. Yeah, just want to let you know. And the cool thing about it is that that we don't use any of the offering offerings or tithes to pay for this aircraft. This aircraft is paid for. Okay, now here's the deal. This may be true. I don't know if it's true or not, but here's the problem. Is, is that all of this came to light because he was lying and trying to hide this information. Okay? All of this came to light because 
he was suppressing this information getting out. Now I don't know if I can trust Ed Young. The only way I – here's the deal. I, again, I go with Ronald Reagan's approach to dealing with nuclear disarmament or you know, with the, uh, with the Soviets. I'll trust him, but we need to verify. Ed, so here's the deal. You're saying that all of this the, – the, the jet is being paid for not out of tithes and offerings but through a different revenue stream. Sure, I believe you, but I need to verify that. It's time for an independent accounting firm to uh, spend some time looking at all of these different revenue streams to see if these claims that you're making are true. Or by other resource streams. And usually when I go into a conference or a church to speak, they usually pay for the fuel. And we don't own an airplane. We okay, stop. We don't own an airplane. This is a half-truth. We have charter. We have a charter deal, and we also have a lease situation with one. A lease situation. Okay, so I want all of you out there. Listen, if you are leasing a car that you're using to commute back and forth to work, okay. If I were to come to you and say, "Listen, are you the one who owns that Toyota Camry that's parked illegally over there?" Oh, I don't own that car. Oh, okay. Well, then you don't mind if we tow it away, right? No, 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 no. I, I don't own it. I'm leasing it. Oh, so you're paying for the exclusive use of that vehicle. Right, 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 right. But you don't own it. No, no, no. Don't. I, I'm just leasing it. Does this make it any better? So here, again, he's persisting in this half-truth. It doesn't make a whit of difference whether you own it or lease it. The point is it's an $8 million aircraft, and you're paying for the exclusive use of that aircraft as if you owned it. $8 million aircraft. That's what its current value is. Okay? Minimum payments on that thing. This doesn't include insurance, maintenance, uh, pilots' uh, salaries, or fuel. The minimum Ballpark, what he's paying for that, $55,000 a month. It's probably as high as eighty to $90,000 a month just for the lease. We're talking about an aircraft that cost millions of dollars to operate. And yes, the FAA records show that Ed Young is using this thing for all kinds of pleasure trips to very exotic tropical locations. And uh, it's, it's something that, um, you know, I've never been shy about telling. People have asked us that all around the country, and I tell people that, and, and I also fly. Really? No. Did your congregation know that? Okay, I'm going to back this up, and we're going to apply just a little bit of logic here. I want you to hear this. Okay. Here we go. Airplane. We have charter. We have a charter deal, and we also have a lease situation with one. And uh, it's, it's something that um, you know I've never been shy about telling people. Have asked us that all around the country. Never been shy to tell people who ask us that. Now, just let me. <clears throat> this is to make it sound like he's been transparent the whole time. If you knew about the airplane and you asked him about the airplane, he'd tell you about the airplane. But see, the thing is, is that the people in Fellowship Church didn't know about the airplane because, well, they didn't know to ask. And so what happens is that Brett Ship's original 
piece comes out. And what did Ed Young do? He had a dog and pony show where he revealed for the first time to the members of Fellowship Church that, well, yeah, we don't own an airplane, but we, quote, lease it. I should put it the other way. We, we don't, quote, own an airplane, but we lease it. That's what the way I should have said. Now, had he been transparent the whole time about the use of this private aircraft, then Brett Ship's report would have meant nothing to the people at Fellowship Church. Okay, we've got a special report from Brett Ship from WFAA in Dallas, Texas. Headline. Ed Young Jr. owns a private jet. The people, if, if Ed Young had been upfront about this the entire time, then what would have happened is, is that the people of Fellowship Church would have said, that's all you got? We've known about the airplane since 2007. When Ed leased it, he told the congregation about it. I mean, we've known about the airplane forever. And this is supposed to be news to us? Oh, go get a life. But that's not how it went down. Nope. Ed Young has not been transparent about this aircraft one bit. If you knew about it and you asked him about it, then he would tell you about it, supposedly. But he hasn't been transparent with the folks at Fellowship Church. They didn't know about it. And so he had to do a mea culpa, put on a dog and pony show, which we covered here at Fighting for the Faith. Go back into the archives and listen to my entire debrief of the dog and pony show that Ed Young and his two of his board members put on. You'll find out there's some serious problems there. There's some serious problems here. He's still not being forthright. He's spinning. What do I mean by spinning? This is what politicians do. I know I've worked with them. I used to be the treasurer for the Republican Party, uh, for the Republican Central Committee down in, in, in uh, Riverside County. I've worked with politicians. I know all about spin. This is spin. Country, and I tell people that, and, and I also fly commercially a lot. Mm -hmm. We fly overseas. Most of that, I say 99% of it, has been commercially. Um, now and then it's been private, but it's mm -hmm. been a real, real blessing. But uh, I, I would not have done what I have done personally, nor would we have done right. the conferences and teachings that we would, done, would have done without the private aircraft. So Again, I, I want to see, first of all, I've seen the FAA records. I know where he's been flying to. Um, if you were to make a, a, one of those bar charts... Okay, bar charts uh, or a pie chart. Let's let's say we did a pie chart of Ed Young's use of his private aircraft. Okay, so where the whole pie equals one hundred percent. The way he's making it sound, the, the way he's making it appear, is if you were to make a pie chart and slice it up into different sections. Like one section would be pleasure trips, the other uh, section would be ministry. Uh, events and conferences, uh, those would be, you know, basically the, you know, your two uh, options there. I mean, what do you think the ratio is ministry to pleasure trips? It's a good question. Based on what the, the documents I've seen, I would say that the majority, the biggest piece of the pie would be pleasure trips. The smallest piece significantly smaller would be ministry. 
plain and simple. And this is just based upon the documents from the FAA. So he's making, oh, I wouldn't have been able to do all this ministry stuff if it weren't for the jet. Yeah, you wouldn't have been able to go on all those pleasure trips if it weren't for the jet. Again, he's saying it's a ministry tool, but when you look at how he's been using it, it doesn't look like he's been really using it for ministry. Really, you know, why do we have the ability to fly? Man, did, did, did God give us that ability just to share the gospel? I don't know. But again, what the, what the media will say or, or what the haters will say is, okay. Okay, <clears throat> notice, did you catch that? What the media will say or what the haters will say. Ah, it sounds like Ed Young Jr. has the same problem that Perry Noble has. Notice, there are no godly critics. There's not a critic who is would fall under the category of somebody who's godly and, well, is telling the truth and has has a valid point. So you're either part of the nasty media or you're a hater. <laughs> and don't think that if you see the thing, if you criticize Ed Young and you question him, you are either a hater or a member of the media or both. <laughs> it's just an ad hominem attack. Again, uh, let's listen to the psychology here. I have done personally, nor would we have done right. the conferences and teachings that we would done, would have done without the private aircraft. So really, you know, why do we have the ability to fly? Man, did, did, did God give us that ability just to share the gospel? I don't know. But again, what the, what the media will say or, or what the haters will say is, okay, you know, a, a Christian, a pastor, whatever, a man or woman who teaches God's word, who shares the gospel, should not utilize private aircraft. Right. Uh, I haven't said that. I can actually see there would be a time when maybe a, a, a private aircraft may be the right tool for the job. Possibly. I, I, I'm i not making that case at all. The point is, is that he, he's been lying and covering it up. He's been suppressing this story from getting out and for the people of his church to know the truth. What's the bigger story? He has zero accountability. Zero real accountability. I mean... The reality is, is that um, maybe he does this. This is the right thing for him. I don't know. But why is he suppressing this? Why has he not been forthright and transparent about it the whole time? And then then again, I'd like to know, I mean, just why did he take his private jet and fly 50 times to Miami? 50 times. 50 times to Miami. Why did he take the private jet and fly to the Bahamas and to all the different pla- all the different fishing uh, resorts in the tropical regions? Why, why, why did he use it for that? Why didn't he uh, take commercial aircraft and let, uh, let the Colbert Report pay for his trip out to appear on the Colbert Report? You, you, you understand what I'm saying? We're going to take a break. When we get back, we will continue with this little story. And, uh, you know, we'll see where this ends up. Now, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. 
Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Reaching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Saddleback Customer Service. This is Josh. How can I help you today? Yes, I would like to return the Jesus I received from you. I heard there was a 60-day return policy. Yes, sir, there is. But can I ask you why you want to return Jesus? Well, I was told if I received Jesus, he'd fix all my problems. And quite honestly, I'm not satisfied with this Jesus. Sir, what is your Jesus doing right now? Nothing. He just sits there. Have you taken time to feed your Jesus? Well, I went to church for the preaching, but nothing has happened. Sir, if you read the fine print on the warranty, you'll see that you are responsible for feeding, not the church or the pastor. Oh. Well, can I exchange this Jesus for another? Sir, what kind of Jesus are you looking for? I need the Jesus that forgives sins. You know, changes your life on the inside, helps you overcome the sins of the flesh, never leaves me nor forsakes me, and will take me to heaven when I die? Oh, I'm sorry, sir. We don't stock that Jesus here. You'll have to go somewhere else to have that Jesus. Well, I guess I'll just stick with the one I got since I already opened the box. Wonderful, sir. Can I interest you in getting Jesus for your friends and family? Why would I do that? The spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. We have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support.
Warning, if your pastor's flying in a private jet that he claims he doesn't own but leases and hasn't told the congregation about it, you've got a big problem on your hands. All right, need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we, well, we exist via the generous financial partnership of you, our listeners, with us. That's right. You get to partner with us in what we do by supporting us financially. And by the way, I am very transparent about how much it costs to run Pirate Christian Radio. (laughs) You're sitting there going, you are? Yes, I am. In fact, if you want to know what our total budget is for 2010, it's actually pretty easy to figure it out. Here's what you do. Pull out a pencil. Are you ready? Write this down. $6.95, multiply that times 1,000, and then take that figure and multiply it times 12. There you go. Ta-da! And you're sitting there going, that's it? Yeah. That's it? I'm not trying to be a bazillionaire. I could care less about being a bazillionaire. I don't want to be a bazillionaire. I just want to do theology. I, I love what I do for a living, and I love where I live. I have no desires for a big mansion, a, a European car. I, I need a car that works. I mean, I need a house that you know is in a relatively safe neighborhood, but it's it's inexpensive. You know, I I don't take trips to Tahiti. At least I'd like to, but I don't have the money for that. But uh, anyway, you you get the point there. So that that's it. And that covers look, get this, are you ready? That covers our broadcasting fees, our royalty fees, our uh, uh computer uh, software expenses and uh, computers and software expenses, data storage, website, and our salary. That's it. Ta-da. And you're thinking, that's not very much money. Right, but see here's the deal. In order for us to meet our budget, this is where you come in. <clears throat> if you haven't joined our crew, this would be a great time to do it because we're almost to our goal. We Our goal is to get a 1,000 listeners who've joined our crew. And, well, we've got about 300 left that we need to have sign up and join our crew. But when we get to that, we get to the, the 1,000 figure, then that means that we've met our first financial goal, and that is to be solvent. You know, operate in the black <laughs> Every month, which is kind of important because, you know, I want to continue doing this. But uh, anyway, so uh, if you haven't joined our crew, please do so. Of course, if you'd like to contribute a different amount, you know, the amount of your choosing, you can do so. In fact, I got a uh, somebody who sent in $44 today. It's a very interesting amount of money, and I'm very thankful for that. Thank you. Um, if you'd like to fill in the blank as to how much you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button on our website, fightingforthefaith.com, or... You can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, we're going to continue uh, listening to Ed Young. I get the feeling this is going to take up the full hour. I just, I'm telling you, we may not get to that other stuff until Monday's program. So uh, here's Ed Young again. But it's okay for an entertainer, a professional athlete, it's okay for some CEO who's selling this widget or that widget. Or media guy. Or, or, media, <laughs> or, or, or some of the media superstars to do yeah. it. I get, you see, Ed's making it sound like some people saying it's completely inappropriate for a pastor to utilize private aircraft. I, there, may be a, there may be a call for it from time to time. I don't have a problem with it per se, but, it, again, where's the accountability? 
And why are we getting all these anomalies that basically show from the FAA records that you're not really utilizing this ministry jet for ministry, but it's primarily used for um, pleasure? And that's kind of an important question. And and are we making sure that the you know whoever is well actually since the church is leasing the jet, um, are we making sure that all the, that is being reimbursed to the church? Yeah. But yeah, all of a sudden then it's then it's. Ba- it's it's it's, crazy. It's, it's, it's it's crazy, but you know what? That's you know we live in a crazy world, and you know it is what it is, and it does what it does, and and everything we've ever done on on a charter or a leased aircraft is done by the strict right. standards right. of the FAA. <laughs> you bet your bippy it's done by the strict standards of the FAA. If you're out doing barrel rolls in your uh, in your private jet. The FAA might have something to say about that. Who was accusing you of, of flying your jet in a way that's contrary to the rules of the FAA? And the Internal Revenue Service. We have teams of accountants. And- Good. Let's. I mean, just turn over the documents. Let's take. Let's get a private accounting firm and a private. Uh, you know, one of those ministries that basically holds uh, other ministries accountable financially, and let's just have them take a look at your records. No problem. An attorney should just take care of that. So I think it's important when these issues come up that, you know, we share that and, and talk about that. So I would encourage anybody to to utilize private aircraft because it's difficult. Uh... <laughs> um, it's expensive. It really is expensive. I mean, like, you know, 3500 to $4,000 an hour. Um, um, pastoring a church and also having a campus in Miami and doing the travel that we do right. to do it in, com- in, in, in commercial because uh, I would basically spend my life in um, airports. airports as opposed <laughs> to uh, being refreshed and ready to go with my family, right. et cetera. That's right. Well, I... Again, um, of the 50 trips that you made to fi- Miami over the past couple of years, I've seen the FAA documents. Um, uh, just real quick question, uh, Ed. Um, how many of those uh, trips to Miami were you preaching at the Miami campus? I just remember when you stood on our stage after that really crazy report came out, yeah. which was full of yeah. lies. I hate to say, but lies, mm-hmm. half-truths. Uh, no, it wasn't. Um, that's the thing. Go back into the archives of the Fighting for the Faith radio program. I reviewed the whole Ed Young dog and pony show. And those guys did not, did not prove any lies were told by Brett Ship and WFAA. Instead, Ed Young and his board of directors Good old boys there. Um, they affirmed the substance of the story. Okay. And when he says about half truths, I mean, let me give you an example of one that, you know, Ed Young's house is 10,000 square feet when in fact it's only 7,800 square feet. I mean, that was the, that was an example of quote a half truth. Yet, by the way, um, th- this is another thing. The, the, um, the, ta- the, the county tax documents. For that home, say that the house is ten thousand square feet. Just want to let you know that. So it's not like Brett Ship pulled a 
a number out of his hat and said, ha see, he's got a 10,000 square foot house. No, he got the, he got the 10,000 square foot number from the tax rolls, from the official county documents about the house. That's what the county tax documents say the square footage of the house is. And so Ed, oh, well, it's not 10,000 square feet. It's only, only 7,500 or 7,800 square feet. So here we go. This is nothing but political spin. Uh, Things that were just so wrong that you came up to our congregation, you stood on this stage, and you just spoke the truth. You go, here's what what I can tell you. Here's all I know. You know, and you, and you gave it to us. And I would encourage you guys uh, to find that on YouTube or on your yeah. blog. You can go to edyoung.com and you can look at that and see how Ed handled that because it was just awesome how you did that. Well, I, no, it was actually pretty pathetic. I think it's important that we do it, but not to address everything um, right. always. But, but certain times you just have a leading that is that is time to do it. And uh, By the way, they didn't uh, – uh, Ed Young and his um, – <clears throat> Board of Directors never did answer the question. Uh, what's his housing allowance? And um, you know, you and others encouraged me to do it. Our mm-hmm. board encouraged me to do it. Some other pastors around the country encouraged us. And so it's you know, it's been it's been it's been all good. So yeah, I would say that that's the thing the media is going to talk about. They're going to talk about um, um, salary. They're always going to talk about that. They're going to talk about if indeed you ever how you travel or whatever right, right. they're going to talk about um your house or whatever and you know what what it's interesting when, it, when you deal with the media what they don't say i mean you know god's blessed Preston. i've, I've written 13 books and right. i've right. have book deals with with you know publishers etc and you know i've tried before god to be generous I've, I've i've given most of that back um um you know when people uh purchase really um he's given most of that back by the way um did receive an email this past week from uh, somebody who was in attendance at Fellowship Church this past Sunday. And uh, just so you know, I'm kind of switching gears here for a second, but I want to point something out. Ed Young has talked about the fact that he, you know, he's got all this money, he's given so much of it back, and yet he's maintaining an airplane uh, that that is at, at minimally costing two to three million dollars a year to maintain. And uh, just so you know, uh, Fellowship Church this coming Sunday, Mother's Day, is going to be having a giveaway. And they're going to be giving away 13 cars, one car during every service at each campus. And so they're basically having a Mother's Day giveaway extravaganza. And I got an email from somebody who was at Fellowship Church this past Sunday and basically uh, the, the, Ed Young was saying that they needed the, the congregation to give more money so that they can afford the, to purchase the cars that they're gonna give away. Yeah, um, here's Ed Young, and this, I think this is his, um, I'm not sure if that's his wife, but he's on the stage with a woman who may be his wife. Uh, listen carefully. Mother's Day is around the corner. Any any mothers here? This is is the biggest one. We said the biggest biggest one for last. Anybody here is anybody here a mom? Moms? Moms? Okay. Okay, moms. We we have decided this Mother's Day weekend to do something unprecedented, do something we've never done before. Okay, it's gonna sound crazy at first, but but just listen. 
We are giving away. That's right. We're Everybody, giving away. And we're giving away. We're giving away. We're giving away a lot of things. A lot of things. But the main reason we're giving away is because you know what mothers do all the time? They give away. Is on that true, way, Mom? On the way to church tonight, my daughter was like, Mom, I need some cash. Yes. Mom, do you have this? We're Mom, constantly, can I borrow your pants? Yes. Mom, I mean, really, anything and everything, we're giving it away. We're co- constantly asking our moms for stuff, and they are the consummate givers. Yes. I mean, moms really give. So here's what we're doing. Fellowship Church, we have got together with some people in our church who are in the car business. We are giving away 13 cars at each of our 13 services to moms. Yes. 13 cars. Now. 13, not 12, not 11. Not 12. 13, 13. cars. You might be going, wow. Mom mobiles. Yes, mom mobiles. And, and some Variety of these. Variety of cars. Yes. Variety of cars that will do what moms need to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and some of the. Some of the giveaways will be heart-touching, yes. soul-wrenching giveaways. giveaways. It, it, it's going to be, be it's gonna be unbelievable. Others will be random. Just yep. if you're a t- in attendance and you're a if mom, you're a mom you, can't, you can't be a dad. I mean, you have to be a That's mom. That's right. you got to be a mom. And you can't be, you know, just a single um, girl in college or something like that who doesn't have any children. Right. You, 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 have, to you have to be a mom. mom. You have to have kids. You have kids, yes. One child or 20. Yeah. Yeah, like got the Duggars to. or something like that. So, tell your friends about it. That's for every service. Whether you go to our Fort Worth campus, whether you go to the Dallas campus, whether you go to the Miami campus, here, wherever, 13 services, 13, I'm sorry, we have 12 services, but we're giving away 13 cars. And that's kind of the thing, like, wow, that doesn't make sense. The math doesn't work. That's why you better be here, right? Mother's Day. We're going to talk about mothers and how mothers give. Yes, and there's lots of other giveaways with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I can tell you guys are excited about that. Wow. Yes. Wow. Is it me or does uh, Ed's uh, is maybe uh, attendance is flagging there? They have to have a big car giveaway extravagance. We're going to give away 13 cars. Um, and by the way, um, I did receive an email from somebody in attendance at Fellowship Church this past Sunday, and uh, Ed was hitting people up for the money needed to purchase all of these vehicles. Um, Apparently, he's made one too many trips to uh, Miami on his private jet because uh, if he hadn't made you know so many trips, he'd have the money to be able to purchase the cars himself, don't you think? Uh, Let's continue. Teaching tapes here at Fellowship, that money goes back to to our church. So mm-hmm. I mean, I have, I have nothing to hide and resources, and, other pastors. Yeah. Resources, and other yeah. pastors. And, and, um, um, so I don't know, that's, that's what it is, but, but all in all, man, it's a, it's a, it's a great thing. It's a, it's a great life, but I think we need to know going in some of these things will happen. There's a brutal side to it. There's a beautiful side, mm-hmm. life change. We have court side seats in life. Brutal. This is so typical. Ed, you know? Life change. Mm-hmm. And there's a brutal side there is going to be the negativity. So what I would encourage leaders... There wouldn't be any negativity if there was transparency and accountability. ...to do in the business world or whatever is it's important just to show up. I mean, just to be there, to be consistent. And too often, I think we bail out right before the breakthrough. Mm-hmm. And and we need to stay the course and and, and live on that on that higher level. Love everybody. 
swim with the swimmers. And I'm telling you, God's going to take care of the rest. He really will. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's a little bit more. Preston, but, I think you'd agree with me in that criticism has, has been difficult, obviously, but it's also been one of the greatest blessings in the history of Fellowship Church mm-hmm. because, as, as we've learned, there's no opportunity without opposition, and the opposition simply alerts us to this incredible right. position that God's given us. So we've sort of lived in a state of tension. So when you have opposition, that proves that you're blessed. Wow, I must be blessed. I get all kinds of hateful emails on a regular basis. For 20 years. In fact, Mm -hmm. I don't know if we can remember even several months. I'm trying to think in the history of Fellowship Church that we've not had some sort of, you know, negativity, whatever. But now it is on a different level. And uh, I think the, the first real negative story from the media came out. Um, about us, maybe 2001, 2002. Then we've had several other right. uh, negative interactions, and, and recently we've had some uh, negative publicity. And so much of it, it you know, and talking to my friends and pastors are, are around uh, around the world now uh, because of social media, mm-hmm. we can communicate. Mm-hmm. So, so, so much of the negativity when it comes uh, from the media occurs because of disgruntled, former employees so that's where they get well okay i want you to hear this carefully now unless for whatever reason you're independently wealthy or you're been you're a stay-at-home mom uh, the majority of us have spent time working for other companies i have had employees some have left my employment happy others have met have left upset Some of them have left upset for justifiable reasons. Some of them were just upset because the way things went down. So here's the deal. When we talk about former employees, keep in mind it's not one size fits all. I have former employees that if I could hire them, I would hire them in a heartbeat. And if they could work for me again, they'd work for me in a heartbeat. Plain and simple. Okay. So listen carefully to this little thing here, because apparently um, disgruntled employee, uh, again, there's no such thing as a godly critic in the purpose-driven, seeker-driven CEO pastor model. There's only uh, haters, the media, and uh, disgruntled employees who have no valid basis to complain whatsoever they didn't they couldn't possibly have witnessed anything that was wrong contrary to god's word or inappropriate no 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 ed young is as clean as the wind-driven snow in fact he probably walks on water when he's not flying in his private jet a lot of it, yeah. A lot of it is, and what's what's so funny? Someone told me this um, um, uh, recently. They said, you know, Ed, when you're when you're paying these people, they're not they're not negative. Yeah, they're but bad. what's but once they're released, so often that's when they get negative. And let me let me tell you this. This is a huge learning about employees in the church. And Preston, you worked in the corporate. By the way, I have had conversations with former employees of um, Fellowship Church. Just want to let you know, I've had conversations with former employees. I've ha- I have emails from former employees. And every single one of them, the stuff that they revealed to me about the inner workings of Fellowship Church, uh, these were not people who were disgruntled and trying to hit back 
in an irrational, insane kind of evil way. No, the stuff that they saw was absolutely wrong. Some of the people that I've had conversations with have left for reasons of conscience. They left. They weren't fired. They left. Corporate world for mm-hmm. years and years and years. A mm-hmm. big, a big corporation. Yep. I yes. will not name, but thank you. One that's a monster. <laughs> and you know, when someone would release someone back in the corporate world, it was no big. I mean, it was not that big of a deal. Okay, this person's released. We're downsizing. Whatever right. it didn't work out. Boom. Right. It's over. In the church world, it's not that way. And and you know this because you've had the opportunity, like I have to release people. Mm -hmm. When you release people in the church world, Preston, it's like a divorce. I mean, it is. It's like a divorce. And I've um, spoken with some attorneys who are in family law. And and uh, uh, I'm telling you, it is like that because your emotions, mm-hmm. your family is involved. And many times when you fire someone, not all the time, but some of the time when you fire someone, check this out, they will start a fire and become an arsonist and try to burn. Right. Believe it or not, the only institution that Jesus ever built. Right. So as a leader, you got to. So in other words, he's a martyr. Ed Young is a martyr. These are people who have who have set a fire to burn down the only institution that Jesus built. And Ed Young has never done anything wrong. Understand it. And you've got to to um, uh, spray your life with fire retardant material. And you got to walk through the fire. You got to do what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. It's not easy. Well, and and I've heard you say many times, you you don't read negative stuff. I don't. I try not to. You don't read positive stuff because I I love how you say it. If you do that, your life is just up and down. That's a great point. And and so tell pastors why you don't do that. You know, Preston, if we rise and fall with negative or positive comments, it's really like the proverbial roller coaster. Is they're saying good stuff about me. It's awesome. Then boom and that can happen if you're reading um, a lot of letters texts emails from the church or it can happen in the media it can happen in a number of areas so what i have tried to do i've not done this perfectly mm-hmm. whether we're on uh, some some show and people are saying that's great isn't you know god great and is the fellowship church great or whatever I try not to watch it right. or even read it. I mean, I might see a little bit of it, but that's it. Mm-hmm. The same is, is true when something is negative. I, I don't hyper-focus because if you do, what will happen is I believe you'll shrink your vision and you'll only... You'll shrink your vision. I think you, I think you get it. Again, more proof that in the seeker-driven, purpose-driven CEO innovative leadership model... You have the pastor has his vision and there's no such thing as a valid or godly critic. In fact, if you're if you criticize them, you are a hater. You have an agenda. Uh, You're an arsonist, former disgruntled employee. But, oh, Ed Young has only ever done right things. And uh, yeah, it just doesn't fly when you start applying just basic discernment to the story. You see this for what it is. Spin. I wonder if their attempt at, uh, you know, shoring up their flagging attendance through the car giveaway on uh, 
Sunday at, on Mother's Day at Fellowship Church. I wonder if that Hail Mary pass will save Fellowship Church as um, they continue to bleed um, as a result of, um, well, many things, this being part of it. We're up on our second break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Sermon review time when we get back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo written music, you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk to you about auto insurance. As the father of two teenage drivers, I know how expensive auto insurance can be. But as expensive as auto insurance is, it's nothing compared to the cost of not having it when you need it. That's why I'm excited to have Allstate Insurance as one of Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertisers. Did you know that drivers who switched to Allstate saved an average of $396 per year compared to what they were paying other companies? Now, I don't know about you, but I think $396 is a lot of money in these tough economic times. Why don't you give Allstate a call and see how much they can save you? You can reach them toll-free at 877-246-1511. Again, that's 877-246-1511. The good folks at Allstate will be happy to give you a free quote over the phone. And remember, you're in good hands with Allstate. The spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website... PirateChristianRadio.com forward slash cheap. We have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit PirateChristianRadio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. 
And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. We're going to have to save those other stories until the uh, next full version of Fighting for the Faith. You know, oddly enough, I may not be doing a uh, Friday light tomorrow. I haven't made the final decision. I'll keep you posted. So it'll be tomorrow or Monday when we talk about that other stuff. But in the meantime, let's go ahead and cue up the the music here. Good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Just by way of a note here. We review ser- uh, sermons from pastors you probably have never heard of. Why? Because most of you out there don't have superstar mega church pastors. You have everyday, ordinary, grassroots guys. So I like to get samplings from, well, a variety of uh, pastors. We've reviewed Scott Hodge's stuff, though, in the past. Scott Hodge, he's adrift theologically. Seeker-driven guy who's uh, bought into the purpose-driven methodologies and has recently been, well, highly influenced by mysticism. Today's sermon, though, I don't think is mystical, but the name of the sermon is The Ultimate Question, hyphen your time. The Ultimate Question, my time? Time? Yeah, Scott Hodge is uh, lead pastor of The Orchard in, uh, I think it's Aurora, Illinois. So, sermon has something to do with time. Now, what should you be listening for? Is this is this information that I could get from Oprah or Dr. Phil, or am I getting the stuff I can't get anywhere else? Am I getting sound, biblical, Christian doctrine, Christ and Him crucified for our sins, or is this just the same kind of schmaltzy stuff that I can get from any general self-improvement Lecturer, let me kill the music. There it is. All right. So, without any further ado, here is um, Scott Hodge. The ultimate question. Yeah, your time. Uh, Okay. We're continuing our series, the ultimate question, and uh, we're going to talk today about what is well. I think one of the most most important areas of our lives. We're going to talk about our time. Everyone say time. Time. We're going to talk about our time. You ever hear someone say, listen, my time is very valuable. My time is very important. And you know, when people say that, they mean I... Uh, Just a real quick question. Which of the apostles or prophets or patriarchs 
taught this incredible stuff about, you know, our time. Now, that's not to say that the Bible doesn't have anything to talk about when it comes to time. But I just don't see this as the main theme, nor do I really even see this falling into a proper understanding of what the Bible calls Christian sanctification. Let's continue. And I even realize how, how true that is, because our time is extremely important. Because if you think about it, okay, your time is your life, right? I mean, think about this. The, okay, the, 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 the moment you run out of time is the moment you, I mean, the, the, literally is the moment you're done. Life is over, right? I mean, when you run out of time, you're done. You can run out of money. You can run. Is my life on an egg timer? Tick, 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 tick. Run out of friends, you can run out of ideas, you can run out of caffeine, but once you run out of time, it's over. Which is why I think if there's any area of our life that, that we really ought to try to get a handle on, it is our time, okay? You know, and, and if you think about it, here's the, here's the crazy thing. You know, if you, th if you think about it, one of the things that makes time so unique and, and different than really essentially anything else in our lives is that all of us have equal amount of time. We, you know, it doesn't always feel that way because there's some people that we look at and we, and we think, how do they get all of that done? Well, no, chances are they're just better, better time managers than you are, right? But I mean, we all have the same amount of time. We all have, you know, 24 hours in a day. We all have seven days in a week. We have 365 days in a year. And, and the thing about it is a person can make more money. They can make more babies. They can go on more vacations. But, but your allotment of time is inflexible. It's set. I've heard this at a Franklin Covey time management course. Are you holier than anybody else if you, um, you know, have a day planner? And, and then on top of that, if you think about it, like once time goes by, there is no way to get it back. It's gone, right? There's no way to recover lost time. You can't save it. You can't, you can't store it. You can't put it in a doggy bag and, and wait and, and, and di dive into it later. No, it, it just goes away. Once it, once it goes away, it's gone. He, here's how Job, okay, in the Old Testament, here's how Job said it. Very, very sobering passage from Job, okay? He says this, Job chapter 14, verse 5. Man's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. You see that? He said, he said, I mean, that's quite a statement, isn't it? That's very sobering. Uh, um, yeah, that's kind of taken Job out of context. I understand he made the statement. And yeah, that, that's what it says. But is the book of Job about time management? Or is that section from Job chapter 14 really about time management uh you know let's take a look i mean i i don't know let's let's look at it in context by the way those are our three rules for sound biblical interpretation context context and context in fact 90 percent of the time when somebody's twisting god's word you can catch it just like that if you just look at the passage in context <clears throat> let's see you know there's um well, you know, I wonder if the context really begins in 13. Um, 13 through 14. Job, by the way, is not one of is not an easy book to uh, do interpretation on. Um, just one, you know, just one of those things uh, that's the truth here. 
All right, let's see. Okay, so Job is speaking. All right, so I, I'm just going to start at chapter 13, verse 13. I understand 13, 13, bad luck. I I don't believe in any such thing. <clears throat> uh, let me have silence. I will speak and, and, and let come on me what may. Why should I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hand? Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. So Job basically saying, even though God slays him, even though God slays him, I will hope in him. That's that's what he says. This is this will be my salvation that the good that the godless shall not come before him. Keep listening to my words and let my declaration be in your ears. Behold, I have prepared my case. I know that I shall be in the right. Who is there who will contend with me? For then I will be I would be silent and die. Only grant me two things, then I will not hide myself from your face. Withdraw your hand far from me and let not dread of your of you terrify me. Then call and I will answer or let me speak and I will repl- and you will reply to me. How many are my iniquities and my sins? Make me know my transgression and my sin. Why do you hide your face and count me as your enemy? Will you frighten a driven leaf and pursue dry chaff? For you write bitter things against me and make me inherit the iniquities of my youth. You put my feet in the stocks and watch all my paths. You set a limit for the soles of my feet. Man wastes away like a rotten thing, like a garment that is moth-eaten. Man who is born of a woman is of few days and and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. And do you open your eyes on such a one and bring me into judgment with you? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? There is not one. Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you, and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. Look away from him and leave him alone, that he may enjoy like a hired hand his day. For there is hope for a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that its shoots will not cease, though its roots grow old in the earth and its stump die in the soil. Yet at the scent of water it will bud and and put out branches like a young plant. But a man dies, and he's laid low. Man breathes his last, and, and where is he? As waters fail from a lake, and river wastes away and dries up, so a man lies down and rises not again till the heavens are no more. He will not awake, nor be aroused out of his sleep. Oh, that you would hide me in shield, that you would conceal me until your wrath be past, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my service, I I would wait till my renewal should come. You would call and I would answer you. You You would long for the work of your hands, for then you would number my steps. You would not keep watch over my sin, my transgression, would be sealed up in a bag and you would cover over my iniquity. Now, understand, Job has lost everything here. 
And he's really, really wrestling in his suffering. He's talking about sin. He's talking about death. He's pondering the fact that men die and they don't come back. But he asks the question, can a man live again? The answer is yes. Because Job here in that question points us to Christ and his resurrection from the dead. So Job asks a question, when a man dies, can he live again? Will he live again? The answer is yes. And we have this hope that even though we die, we shall live again in Christ. We will not die. We will be in Christ. And on the final day, he will restore all things. And we will be raised again with the shout of the archangel and the trumpet of heaven. And Jesus returning in clouds and glory, we will raise again. And even though I die, yet, well, even though he kill me, slay me, I will hope in him, Job says. So this passage is really wrestling with some deep stuff. And yet, uh, Pastor Hodge here gave us Job 14.5 and just kind of wove it into this general time management thing. I That's kind of like missing the forest because of the tree. Uh, how, how do they say it in, down in Africa? Um, we were... Uh, Stepping on ants while elephants were walking by. Yeah, that that I think that's an apt way of putting it. Let's continue. Man's days are determined. You've decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. You've set limits he cannot exceed. Look, you can exceed in a lot of areas. You can exceed the speed limit. Not that I do that. I just heard some of you, you have a problem with that. I'll pray for you. But, but you can over what? You can overeat. You can overanalyze. You can overachieve. But you cannot overlive. No, I mean, there's a limit. You can't exceed it. If you think about it, you know, sometimes people say, man, where did the time go? Well, you know, what they're really asking is, where did my life go, right? Because your, your time is your life. You can't separate it. You know, if, there, if there's anyone, I think, who, who understood this, there's a man in the Bible by the name of Moses. Now, Moses once prayed a prayer that is, is found in uh, Psalm chapter 90. I want to show you. Um, Moses prays this prayer that ought to become, really ought to, we should like put this on our mirror in the morning. And every day we just pray this because it's pretty powerful. Psalm 90 verse 12. Teach us. In fact, let's read it together. Some of you need jab the person next to you say, are you awake this morning? Uh, ready? Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Pause there for a second. Um, Boy, this is a great psalm, by the way. Um, And all he's doing is finding the one verse that says something about teach us to number our days aright. Is Is teaching us to number our days aright the same thing as properly managing your time and budgeting your time? I don't think so. I actually would contend that that's probably not at all what Moses is saying here. Psalm chapter 90. If you have your Bible, please turn there. This is a great psalm. Great, great psalm. And again, it's when you're taking verses out of context and stringing them together to tell this life tip stuff, you're not really teaching God's word. Let let, let me me help him out here. We're going to be in Psalm 90. Let's read it. Listen to this. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. I mean, you could do a sermon right there on that. Here we go. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, 
you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and it is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all of our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason or strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord. How long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now, don't you think to just kind of pull out, just tease out the whole thing about numbering our days, uh, teach us to number our days, that that's kind of missing the whole point of Psalm 90? Pastors are supposed to teach the word. Stringing stuff out out of context, out of context, out of context, and weaving a story around it, uh, many times is not properly handling God's word. Now, when you read a systematic theology book, and then they deal topically with things like uh, soteriology, sanctification, justification, things like that. What they do is they take verses, they take pieces of verses and put them together to p- help you see what the doctrine is or what the scriptures say on a particular point. Now, I would argue that that's still a proper way of dealing with it. It's a proper biblical teaching. Okay. But you have to go back and put it in context. Is the statement true? So here's the deal. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Okay. Heart of wisdom. Where do I... You know, fear of the Lord. Hang on a second here. Um, uh, uh, The Bible does talk about getting a heart of wisdom, and it mentions it in the Proverbs. Okay, if you go to if you have Proverbs open, Proverbs chapter one, verse seven kind of comes to to bear. Okay. Uh, Proverbs chapter one, verse one, the uh, we uh, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, uh, king of Israel to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and let the one who understands obtain guidance. 
uh, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. This is the important one. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. What does that tell you? Fools despise God. So if you, okay, so going back to Psalm 90, verse 1, what did we, we uh, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may get wisdom. Well, where do we get wisdom from? Wisdom comes through fear, love, and trust in God. First commandment stuff. Well, the law doesn't save us, so where does one come to this fear of the Lord? through faith in Christ, through the preaching of the gospel. See, you can tie this all back to Christ when you look at it in context. But see, what he's doing here is supposedly he's starting off just, well, um, time management. Teach us the number of our days. He's not really teaching you what the Bible says. Listen, one of the ways that wisdom comes into our lives is by simply recognizing that our days are numbered. You ever notice how much... No, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We just read it. ...wiser you are about your time and how differently you think about your time and your life and your allotment of time when you realize that your days are numbered. I mean, think about it. When someone close to you dies, suddenly things are put into perspective in a different way, aren't they? I mean, suddenly things that used to be important aren't important anymore. You, you see things in a, in a new light. If, and listen, I mean, that, that's really what he's saying here, I think. I mean, there's wisdom that comes into our lives when we realize and we live in this reality that our days are numbered, that the, that the clock is ticking. Turn to the person next to you right now. Tell them, your clock is ticking. Tell them right now, your clock is ticking. And if you just listen, you might even hear it. Your clock is ticking. Okay, so now that we are all encouraged... Yes. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. All right, listen. While, while there's a lot about our time we can't control. Okay, our, t- our clocks are ticking. He's talking about death. Okay, if a pastor's saying your clock is ticking, he's reminding us that we're mortal. He's reminding us that someday we're going to stand in the presence of God. And we're uh, and yeah, uh, Hello? And the good news is what? That we can better manage our time if we learn how to number our days? If you're going to tell me about death and my clock is ticking, you better start telling me about what Jesus has done for me on the cross and the good news. While you'll never be able to change the amount of hours in a day or days in a week or uh, whatever it is, uh, you and I can control how we use every moment of time that we've been given. A lot we can't control, but we can control what we do with the time that we've been given, which is huge because if you think about it, uh, our, our lives are a sum of what we do with all those little moments that we've been given, aren't they? I mean, at the, at the end of our lives, our lives are the sum of whatever we do with all those little moments that make up our lives. See, we, we like to think sometimes that, that our lives are really about those big, momentous moments, right? Those earth-shattering moments that forever change us and, and impact the world and, and cause us to leave a legacy. But it, see, it's not. No, it's about the, those tiny moments that oftentimes seem so insignificant. Take, take the word moment, for example. The word, the word moment's an interesting word. Uh, 
In fact, one of the Greek words from which we get this word is the word atomos. Say it with me, ready? Atomos. Atomos. Now, the word atomos has two words that come out of it that are very interesting words, uh, almost, almost opposites in a way, not opposites, but you'll see what I mean in a second. One of those words is the word atom, and the other word is the word atomic. Now, if you think about it, I think this is such a, such a great picture of what our moments in life are truly all about and what's at the core of these moments. Because on one hand, you've got the atom, which is so small, right? It's so tiny. In fact, for a long time, it was believed to be the smallest unit of an element, right? Just tiny, small. And, and see, the moments of our lives, they're a lot like little atoms, right? There's a gazillion of them, they're e- but they're easy to miss, right? They're easy to discount. We think sometimes these moments are, seem insignificant or don't seem real important. And so what happens is we end up underestimating so many of these little moments of our lives. And, and yet at the same time, we, we have the image in this word of the atomic that is hidden within the moment. And with, of course, within the atomic is this nuclear capacity, something huge. And, and so, see, it may be small, but there's this extraordinary uh, amount of potential within every single moment of our lives. And see, that's why when you live your life with great intentionality... And when you live your life with great purpose and passion, and when you seize those opportunities, and, 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 and when, you, when you seize those moments, those, those tiny moments that sometimes seem so insignificant. So this is the Carpe Diem uh, sermon. Seize the day. Seize the moment. And he, he got that from Psalm 90, verse 12. How? And Job 14, verse 5, how? You see, he's not teaching you God's word. I mean, this is a self-help seminar. Uh, but you, I mean, you can get this from Franklin Covey, and I think Covey does a better job. There is an atomic reaction that takes place and suddenly you become a human catalyst making a divine impact something huge is happening see rarely do we know up front the eternal impact of a moment i mean think about this every moment of your life counts okay those small incremental moments have uh, uh, uh scott um here you had this great moment where you could have opened up God's word and really taught people what God's word says and taught us the mind of God that's been revealed in the scriptures. And it just seems like uh, when the moment came, you tripped and fell. ...of time have huge potential, okay? And, and here's the other thing about our moments, okay? What you do at this moment affects every moment to come. And so every moment is important. And that's why this question that we launched into last weekend, this this question that we're calling the ultimate question, is really the ultimate question. I mean, it's a huge question, right? In light of my past experiences, in light of my current responsibilities, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? How many of you found yourself asking that question at least one time this past week? Lie to me, okay, because this isn't very encouraging, all right? All right, yeah, now you're all going to hell for lying, okay? But, um, no, I'm just kidding. Now, think about this question, though. This same question can be asked in regards to our time. 
and the way we manage our time. So here's another way to ask that question, all right? Now, I gave you an extra sheet of paper today. You could write these down if you want to, all right? Um, In light of my past experiences, my current responsibilities, and my future hopes and dreams. Listen, here's the question. What is the wisest way to invest my time? In light of my... That's the ultimate question? Oh, man. I can think of a better one. Jesus asking the disciples, Whom do you say that I am? And what does Peter say? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus praises him and says, Yes, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And upon this rock I will build my church. Jesus builds his church on the answer to the question, whom do people say that I am? And and Peter's response, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. That's what the church is built on, that question. Don't you think that's the ultimate question that we all need to wrestle with and the question you need to ask your neighbors? Whom do you say Jesus Christ is? Let me tell you who he is and what he's done for you. The answer to that question is brutally clear. And so vitally important. Hey. Past experiences, my current responsibilities, and my future hopes and dreams. What is the wisest way to invest my time? What is the wisest way to invest all those little moments that we have in our lives? Well, here's what I want to do today. I want to give you four or five things to write down. And and these have to do with, with how and what we do with the moments that we've been given in our lives. These are... These are fantastic. I'm telling you, these will, these will change the way you approach your time. Um, Andy Stanley, who's a phenomenal pastor, he writes in detail on these, uh, sort of a few other authors, but, but I just want to run through these, uh, quickly. Uh, I say quickly, it may not be as quickly as you might hope they, it might be, but quickly for a minister, okay? A preacher. All right. But anyway, these are very basic yet extremely significant. Huge reminders. Here's the first one. All right. Write this down. Fill in your blank. Are you only make, making you write one word? Okay. There is a cumulative value to investing small amounts of time in certain activities over a long period of time. There is a, uh, did Andy Stanley, is this written in the gospel according to Andy Stanley? I, I don't recall this in my Bible. Cumulative value to investing small amounts of time in certain activities over a long period of time. Perfect example of this, exercise, right? Yeah, if you exercise, let's say you exercise every day, maybe you exercise a few times a week, whatever it might be. If you do that for 12 months or 18 months, at the end of those 12 or 18 months, you're going to feel pretty good, aren't you? You're, you're going to, something's going to be different about you, right? Now, here's a question, though. Are you going to feel different after doing it one time? No. Well, actually, you are going to feel different. You're going to feel horrible. Yeah, you're going to look horrible as well because you're going to be walking around going, oh, man, I feel awful, right? Yeah, you're going to be sore, right? But no, see, you're not going to see much of a change. You're not going to see much difference after exercising one time, which is why it's so easy to talk ourselves out of it. I mean, think about it, right? I mean, if you saw a measurable difference after exercising one time or two times, there would be your motivation, right? I mean, because you would see, you'd look in the mirror and go, I have to, look at me, whoo, I got I to gotta do this again today, Right? 
but you don't. You don't see the difference. See, the real value of exercise, or, or whatever it is, maybe it's a musical instrument that you're learning to play, or maybe it's, it's kung fu skills, or maybe it's, uh, I don't know, maybe it's, it's being, you know, developing as an artist, whatever it might be in your life. Um, the real value in it isn't found in any one moment or any one deposit of your time. It, it's found uh, way down the road after several consistent um, deposits of time. There, there is a cumulative value to investing small amounts of time in certain activities over a long period of time. In other words, it is the, it is the consistent incremental investments of time that make a difference. And I'll tell you, if there's any area of our lives that we really feel this in, it's in the area of our relationships, isn't it? I mean, think about this for a second, all right? Your relationship with God, small amounts of time given and invested in listening to God's voice and meditating on the scriptures and praying and, and, and all those things will make a huge difference when it comes to your spiritual journey. Spending time with your creator and being aware of his presence that is with you at all times. I mean, those kind of things will, will change and, and impact your relationship with God. It will impact your spiritual journey. Same thing with your family. I mean, if you think about with your family, okay, it's about the small amounts of time that are given consistently. Dinner on a consistent, you know, being with your family, gathered around the table with your family, uh, investing in your children. I mean, we could go on down the list, right? Think about your marriage. You ever notice how once we get married, we, we stop dating? We, or, or it's even yet, we, like we have kids, and then we, stop, we really stop dating, right? I talked to someone the other day, they have like three kids. And I said, so when's the last time you and your spouse were out alone? And they, they sat there like for 10 minutes going, hmm, hmm, uh, must have been about two years ago. Whoa, what? Are you kidding me? See, here's the thing. Let, let's say that you had children and you're, and you know, your life's kind of getting hectic and you're finding that you're starting to feel a little bit distance from each, distant from each other. Um, and you decide you're going to start having regular date night. Well, here's the question. I mean, are you going to notice a difference after just going out on one date? Is, there, is that going to really make much of an impact? Well, actually, it might for some of you. <laughs> no, but, but I mean, seriously, okay, no, not, you're not really going to tell a huge difference. I mean, it, but, but if you stay consistent at it and you keep giving each other those moments of time, eventually you'll notice a difference. Why is that? Well, because there's cumulative value to investing small amounts of time in certain activities over a long period of time. Here's the next one. There are rarely any immediate consequences for neglecting those single installments of time in any area of life. Think about this, okay? There are rarely any immediate consequences for neglecting those single installments of time in any area of life, okay? If you neglect your health for one day, just one day, eh, it's probably not gonna make a big difference, right? You neglect your health for a week, Still, maybe not a big deal, right? Except you might have a lot of indigestion. You might, you might not feel so good. But, I mean, you, it's probably not going to have a huge impact on you. I mean, but think, and think about this in terms of your relationships, okay? You neglect date night one time, probably not a big deal, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, you skip work one, one Friday because you're, <laughs> you're sick, right? Hmm. And you skip work on Friday, you probably still have your job on Monday, right? Uh, you, you, you neglect, you know, one or two nights uh, of being away from home and, or maybe three nights or four nights or whatever it might be uh, and, and, and not being with your kids and things like that, probably not a big deal, okay? There are rarely any immediate consequences for neglecting those single installments of time in any area of our life. But if that neglect becomes a pattern 
then eventually there's going to be a problem because, and this is the next thing I want you to write down, neglect has a cumulative effect. Neglect has a cumulative it, yeah, it does. Neglecting God's word Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and not teaching sound biblical doctrine and not proclaiming Christ and him crucified for our sins like you're supposed to, Pastor, Sunday after Sunday will have a indeed a huge negative cumulative effect on the people that you're supposedly pastoring. Effect. Okay, think about it. If you decided today... You, you, you go home today and you say, kids, I want to make an announcement. I'm going to be neglecting you for the next 12 months. That's going to be felt, isn't it? I mean, that's going to make a difference, isn't it? I mean, if, if you decided today and, and you know, you, you decide, like, let's say, let's say uh, the beginning of this year or, or beginning of next year, you said, okay, you know what? My New Year's resolution for the next 12 months is to eat as unhealthy as possible. Yeah, I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat every, in fact, I'm going to deep fry everything. Which sounds great in a way, right? Um, yeah. All right. <laughs> Woo. Yeah. Amen. Let's start the children early, right? Can, can you deep fry milk? I don't know. But anyway, um, you, you guys ever seen the movie Super Size Me? You remember that, that movie about the dude, um, uh, Morgan Spurlock, right? He decides to eat nothing but McDonald's for, for a month, okay? So three times a day. You listen, this is crazy. Three times a day, all he, he's going to eat McDonald's. Only. Only McDonald's. And if the person at the counter says, would you like to supersize that? He has to say yes. Okay, so that's all he eats. So get this, within a week, he gains almost 10 pounds. And he starts experiencing depression. He starts uh, feeling, you know, lethargic. He's got massive headaches. And get this, the only thing that makes him feel better is eating McDonald's. He becomes addicted to McDonald's. Some of you are changing your plans right now for where you were planning on going on the way home from church, right? Now, and, and so get this. So he does this for a month. Well, at the end of 30 days, he ends up, after a month, he's gained uh, 24 and a half pounds. He, his body mass has increased by 13%. His cholesterol level is 230. Okay, so he's a mess. And then, and then on top of it all, he's got mood swings, uh, sexual dysfunction, uh, fat accumulation in, uh, in his liver, okay? And, and it took him 14, uh, 14 months to lose all the weight and start feeling better after that 30 days of eating only McDonald's. Yeah. And if you're a McDonald's franchise owner, I'm so sorry. <laughs> there goes your tithe, right? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. You can, you can neglect your health for a week, maybe even a month, right, without any serious consequences, but you do that for 10 years, 12 years, or 30 days if it's at McDonald's, right? Uh, the, damage, the damage may be irreversible. See, it's never about the one time, is it? It's, it's, never about, it's never about skipping out on that one thing or, or, well, because someone ate that one meal. I mean, that's really what did it, right? No, no, no. It's not. It's, no, the effect, the effect is cumulative, okay? When the neglect piles up, so do the negative consequences in our lives. And it's the same way in our relationships. It's the same way for us, well, for us spiritually. It's the same way for us emotionally and, and uh, financially. It's the same way in every area of our lives. And so while it's true that small, inconsistent, uh, small uh, consistent investments of time add up to good things and that consistent neglect adds up to bad things, the next thing I want you to write down is this, okay? There is no cumulative value to the urgent things that we allow to interfere with the important things. All right? There is, there is I, this is, I'm sure this is just fine life advice, but is this... 
what we've been called to preach. I mean, I get I can get this from Oprah and Dr. Phil. I the Mormon uh, Stephen Covey does this better, but okay, yeah, I'm hearing truth. By the way, E equals MC squared. That's true too. I don't hear any guys preaching about that. There's no cumulative value to the urgent things that we allow to interfere with the important things, all right? Here's what I mean, okay? And this is a crazy thing. All of the, all of the random pursuits that we allow to interrupt what's truly important in our lives usually add up to nothing. All right, think about that for a second, okay? Let, let's say that um, your New Year's... Oh, let's not say you because that makes it too uncomfortable. Let's just say like our friend, Fred... Any friends here? Um, let's say Fred decides, you know what? This next year, this is the year. I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to do it. This is the year. And I, I'm going to go to new places in my life. So I'm going I'm to start exercising. I'm going to get a treadmill, or some people call it dreadmill. I'm going I'm to go uh, get, a, get a membership at the health club. And, I, and I'm so excited. And so Fred Facebooks it, Twitters it blogs it. He go, he tells all his friends, you guys, I'm excited. This is the year. Yeah. Woo. I'm going to get healthy. Well, then let's just say, and this is, I mean, not that this would, you know, this is highly unlikely, but let's just say it didn't quite work out. All right. Let, let's say that, let's say that, that it didn't quite work out because for whatever reason, right? Other things got in the way. And let's say that he now is held accountable by all his friends. So all his friends pull him together. What about accountability to God? Can we talk about sin? God's wrath was mentioned in the chapters, in the chapters that you misquoted from, can we talk about that? You know, like Psalm 90 talks about God's wrath. Who cares about being held accountable to whether or not, you know, I tweeted out that I this is the year that I get skinny. I, uh... And they say, okay, Fred, what happened? What did you do instead of exercising? What did you do? Uh, what, what did you do? Did you sleep in? Yeah, a little bit, sometimes. Yeah, what, what else? Wow, you know, I got to the office early a lot, and so that got in the way of me exercising. Really, so what did you do at the office every day when you were there early? Uh, just different things and stuff. And some emails and whatnot. And Facebook, right? Some, some, just some stuff, you know? Well, what kind of stuff? I don't know, just stuff. See, here's, here's the bottom line. Look, if you stacked up all the stuff, Fred, that you did instead of exercising and you added up all their value, guess what number you're going to see? You're going to see zero. Nothing, right? Zero. The bottom line is this. Listen, all of the random pursuits that we allow to interrupt what's truly important in our life usually adds up to zero. Nothing. Except for wasted time, right? And, and the problem with that is that wasted time equals wasted life. So there's never any cumulative value to all the urgent, this is so important, and so, honey, I can't make it home for dinner tonight, and, and I'm going to have, you know, kids, I can't make it to your game for the ninth time, and, and all of that. Okay, now this is true. Can we bring this back to the biblical category of sin that needs to be repented of and forgiven by Christ's death on the cross? Or is this just a behavior modification pep talk? That Look, there's no cumulative value to the urgent things we allow to interfere with the important thing. And that's why, that's why we got to remember that urgent does not necessarily mean important. 
right? I mean, think about this, right? Just because something is urgent doesn't mean it's important, all right? What do urgent things do? Urgent things act on us, right? They, they, they press on us. They insist on action, right? That's the urgent things, right? The, the atomic diaper that needs to be changed. Urgent, right? Uh, I mean, the phone ringing. Sometimes we, oh, urgent. The Blackberry, bing, going off. Urgent, right? A Caillou comes on TV. Shut it off. Urgent. Can I just say something? You ever watch Caillou? That little boy. He he needs to to uh, he needs to grow. He, um, he need he needs he needs to he needs to, to 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 become a man because he he is a he's a little wimp. Yeah. I don't want my son watching that. All he does is whine all the time. Seriously, not my son, but Caillou. Ah, oh, spank that boy. Okay. Same thing with Barney. We got to get some new shows on, guys. Look, how about how about like 24? Maybe Fight Club? I don't know. Anyway, okay, I'm just kidding. Wholesome TV, right? Just because it's urgent doesn't mean it's important. See, important, on the other hand, is about results. Important is something that we go out of our way to pursue in our lives because, it, because of the kind of results it, it produces in our lives, okay? See, we, we think about this. We pursue what's important because it contributes to our mission in life. We pursue what's important because it, 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 uh, it, it connects to our values and the things that matter most. That's the difference, okay? See, it's the reason so many people bounce from urgent to urgent to urgent and, and it's, it's like their life just gets out of control is, is oftentimes because they have no vision for their life. They don't know where they're going. And so they have nothing by which to measure how they spend their time. There's no cumulative value to the urgent things we allow to interfere with the important things. Okay, listen, you add up all the urgent things we do instead of what? Fill in the blank. Studying, what are you going to get? Zero. You add up all the urgent things we do instead of spending time with our families chances are going to add up to zero. All the things that keep us from, from uh, making the mission of Jesus number one in our lives, probably zero, right? And see, the worst part about it is when... And see, this is an example of not paying attention to the mission of Jesus and doing something other than that. The mission of Jesus, Jesus said to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins to all nations. He's not doing that. He's teaching us time management and... This whole urgent thing. I learned this from Franklin Covey. We waste time. We're not just wasting time. We're wasting what? We're wasting our lives. We're wasting opportunities. Which, which leads us to the last thing I want you to write down, all right? And it's something I said at the very beginning. In the critical arenas of life, you cannot make up for lost time. In, in the critical arenas of life, you cannot make up for lost time. What are the most critical areas of our lives? Our relationships, right? I mean, think about it. Nothing more important than relationships. You know, when, when, when someone dies, you don't, you, don't, you don't get consumed thinking about, well, man, what, what about their business? What about their car? Who's going to drive their car? Who's going to water the plants? No, you know what you're thinking? You're thinking about their, their, their family. You're thinking about their kids. You're thinking about their loved ones. You're thinking about their wife, their husband. You're thinking, you're thinking about the people that they're in relationship with. And the reason for that is because relationships, I mean, it really comes down to relationships. 
Okay? Which means that you cannot make up for lost time when it comes to relationships. You can't make up for lost time. Okay? If you miss those opportunities, they're lost forever. You know, I mean, I mean, you, you, you might be able to uh, procrastinate all semester long in school and then somehow, you know, you stay up the night before the final and you somehow you pull it off by the, by the grace and mercy of God, right? And you, you've never prayed so hard in your life and then, and then somehow you do it, right? But see, you can't make up for lost time when it comes to these critical areas of life, the, the really important areas of life. You can't make up for lost time. Yeah, I mean, imagine, imagine a dad, you know, coming home one night and saying, okay, kids, you know what? I'm sorry I've neglected you guys for like three months. We haven't been home. I haven't been home for dinner with you in three months. So, so you know what? We're going to make up for all that tonight. We're going to go eat at all of your favorite restaurants tonight. And I know, I know it's 8 o'clock. But we're going to get yourself a backpack, and we're going to go, and we're going to eat at all of your favorite restaurants. Okay, come on, everybody. Let's go. Woo, woo. No, see, that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? It sounds completely ridiculous, but really it's no different, if you think about it, no different than than thinking that a long vacation can make up for being an absentee parent. It's no different than thinking that a a romantic getaway will somehow make up for years of marital neglect. Or, you know, like one romantic weekend will transform a marriage that's been neglected for months or years. Because seeing the critical areas of life, you cannot make up for lost time. And we all know this is true. Look, great relationships are built on small, consistent deposits of time. And so, see, one of the best things I think we can do in our lives is to develop consistent rhythms. Rhythms that that allow us to give the best part of our life to the most important things. Think about that. Are you giving the best part of your life? Are you giving the best part of your day to that which is most important? Are you giving the best part of your week to that? which is most valuable in your life. I tell you, it starts on a daily level. I mean, I think, what if we could get into a rhythm of of you've got this daily rhythm, you've got a weekly rhythm, you've got a monthly rhythm, you've got a yearly rhythm. That uh, small musical interlude was all about having rhythms. It's, uh, well, you know, Scott Hodge is talking about having rhythm. I mean, there's already going to be enough chaos going on in your life. Why not, why not develop as much of a rhythm as you can? You know, I know for me, one of the things I had to, to make a change in was my day off. My day off, um, like, like many pastors, would be Monday. But I think pastors are morons for taking Mondays off. Because I don't know one pastor that feels good on Mondays. Seriously, we call, I call that holy hangover day. Oh, yeah, I feel awful. Monday mornings, whoo, 
man, I feel like, I feel like I've been ran over by a semi-truck. Okay. And so what was happening though, is I was giving my Mondays to my family and it just wasn't good. I didn't want, I wanted to be alone. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I growled at the kids and, you know, kicked the dog. I'm just kidding. I have a dog, but, but I would have, if we had one, I mean, you know, it was bad. It was a bad day. And so what was happening, see, I, and so I changed it to a different day. Uh, and I changed it to a day where I can feel good. And, and I know where I'm at for the week and I feel like I've got a, my, my, in fact, I just changed it again. But, but, um, I was, see, I was doing the opposite. I was giving the worst part of my week to that which was outside of God, to that which was most important. So, so I changed it. Now, now I give Mondays um, to my staff. And, um, <laughs> but I don't do it till the afternoons because I, I feel a little bit better in the afternoons. Anyway. Remember that passage we looked at last weekend, Ephesians 5? Ephesians 5, verse 15. Let's read it together, can we? Let's read. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. I love this, making the best use of... Okay, Ephesians chapter 5. Now, this is important, okay? Ephesians chapter 5 is part of the overall letter that the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote to... The, the churches in Ephesus. Okay. One of the major problems that seeker-driven American evangelical churches do is they quote the tail end of Ephesians and completely skip the front end. Okay. Keep in mind, Christian sanctification has as basically it, at its center the gospel, Christ and him crucified for our sins. We love because he first loved us, the scriptures say. You know, hang on a second. I wonder if I still have this open. Uh, Let's see here. Um, Yeah, listen to this kind of litany of of verses. Now, understand, these are out of context. So I challenge you to go and read these back in context to see if what I'm telling you these verses are talking about is consistent with the message of those chapters in context. Okay? Okay. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God, (laughs) here we go. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Okay? Or uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. In this is love, that not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Or Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the idea here is is that when we... uh, Christian sanctification always has an understanding that not that we're to nakedly love God or nakedly obey God. No, 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 no. That becomes our self-righteousness, and our righteousness is as filthy rags. Instead... Christian justification and sanctification go hand in hand or hand in glove, if you would. Okay, the idea here is is that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. We are, and so when you read the book of Ephesians in context, when you get to the sanctification moral imperatives in the tail end of the book, all of that 
is being built on the foundation of justification by grace through faith alone, by Christ's work alone in the earlier chapters of the book of Ephesians. So the thing is, is that so many pastors make the fatal, and it is a fatal mistake, to think that that the cross and the message of the gospel is, well, that's just baby stuff. That's the, that's the thing that gets you into the door. Now we got to focus on getting busy. No. What does Paul say? I chose to know nothing among you except for Christ and him crucified. So when you're going to preach moral imperatives, those moral imperatives, if you look at the pattern in the New Testament, those moral imperatives are preached in light of the cross, in light of the gospel, so that, what number one, we don't put any faith in our works as if they merit God's favor or forgiveness, and two, those good works are fruits of our faith, okay? Let me put it this way, okay? No human being does a good work in God's sight without first having faith in regeneration. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So faith, regeneration, or repentance and faith first, and then from that immediately flow good works. The two go hand in hand. If you are trying to produce good works, but you don't have faith, the, the, you are still in unbelief. You're only dealing with the second table of, the, of God's law, not the first table, that has to do with fear, love, and trust in God. So here we've got this sermon on time management, and he's quoting Ephesians chapter 5, but he's not telling me anything about how these good works flow from faith and how these good works are built on the foundation of the gift of faith given to us by Christ that focuses on Christ. So that's not my problem here with what he's doing at this point of your time because the days are evil. This, this phrase right here, in some of your Bibles, it may say redeeming the time. Okay, He's talking about redeeming the time. The, the Greek term there is sort of like an accounting term. And so in a way, it's like Paul is saying to us, look, get the full value. Go extra value, okay, when it comes to your time. All right, get the full value. Squeeze out all the good you can out of every moment of your life. Make the most of your time because you cannot go back and reinvest it. Once it's gone, it's gone. And then Paul says that statement. He says, because the days are evil. Evil. See, sometimes we think evil. We think like the big, big evil things, right? But see, I just think sometimes uh, evil is not as obvious as we think it is. And it's sometimes it's just the, it's, it's like, well, for an example, I think it's, it's getting drawn towards the things that have absolutely no eternal value in our lives. Getting drawn to the things and and and, be, and these things becoming a priority. You mean, you mean like focusing on time management rather than repentance and the forgiveness of sins and sanctification as the work of uh, uh, as the fruit of our justification? You mean like that? Not focusing on eternal things? Isn't that exactly what you're doing, Scott? By preaching about time management rather than preaching sound biblical doctrine? Priority that are that are all going to be be gone one day. That will not go with you into eternity, right? Your day planner will not go with you into eternity, I promise. 
And see, then what happens is instead of giving our time, because our time should be something we give and we invest, okay? But it doesn't work that way so often, does it? What happens? We get sucked into busyness, right? We, we, or we find it hard to say no. How many, of you ever, how many of you find it hard to say no in your life sometimes? Yeah, I know more of you because when we ask you to sign up for certain things or to give, a lot of you don't do it. Anyway, um... Well, you, I mean, you don't say no, you just don't do it. But anyway, um, that's besides the point. Um, <laughs> you love me. I think. Well, I mean, you, you, you keep coming, so that's good. Anyway. Or, or, or enough new people are coming to replace all the ones who keep leaving. But anyway, I don't know. But, but, see, but see, here's the thing. We, 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 we find it hard to say no. So then what happens is we end up getting, we end up getting uh, sucked into this, this life where we, we, it's like we become consumed uh, and our life becomes fragmented by a million urgent, disconnected things, probably many good things and things that, that you know, uh, events and opportunities and all that, things that might be good, but things that may not be wise. Okay, just because something's good, just because there's a, something seems like a good idea doesn't mean it's a God idea. Doesn't mean it's a good idea, right? Okay, it's, see, it's possible to be very busy in your life and to be very ineffective, I mean, have you ever gone through a season like that where you look back and say, I was so busy, what, what did it result in? Nothing except for, you know, putting me on the verge of a heart attack, right? See, for me, it took me a long time to, to learn to say no because I didn't want to let people down. I had this image in my mind of what a pastor is supposed to, supposed to do, do everything, right? Be there for everyone. But you know what I realized one day? I realized that... that at some point, you're going to always be letting something or someone down, no matter what you do, right? Someone will always be getting let down. The question is, are you going to be intentional about who it is you're letting down? It's, it's like a, the talk I gave several uh, months ago, I guess it was, where I talked about, you know, you and I are constantly cheating. The question is, are we cheating the right things and, uh, or the, are we cheating the wrong things? Someone's always going to feel cheated. So, I mean, there's always going to be, so, I mean, you just have to choose who it's going to be. You know, I, I grew up in the church, and uh, a lot of my friends were their parents were pastors or missionaries or or whatever. And and it's interesting because a lot of my friends who grew up in the church grew up and became teenagers or young adults like hating church. And 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 the reason they hated church wasn't necessarily because church is bad, uh, but it was because their moms and dads, who were pastors, gave everything they had to the church and not to their kids. Now, now, thankfully, my, my parents were different. Not perfect, but they, they were different. And, uh, but, but, and see, I'm going to tell you, that's why as the orchard has grown, and some of you who are new here, you may not realize this, but I mean, as the church has grown over these few years from, you know, I mean, 300 to 400 and 500 and 700 and 900 and, you know, 1,100 and 1,500, I mean, as the church has grown, it's been a real challenge for me to find that balance. It's been a challenge, not just because of the pace of what we do here, but also because I love what I do. You know, that, that's kind of a blessing and a curse, isn't it? I mean, if you love what you do, you can get in trouble. You're not putting so much of your life, so much of your time into it, right? I mean, I was thinking about this the other day. Like, I get paid to do this. Wow. I love what I do. But sometimes that's a problem for me. And, and so, but, but here's the thing. Okay, look, who cares? Listen, Who cares? If I've led a great church, or if you've led a great business, organization, whatever might... No gospel nugget yet, either. just wanted to remind you, we haven't heard the biblical gospel at all. We haven't even really heard about sin. We just heard, basically, a behavior modification life tip lecture on time management. 
it might be, but failed to lead your family. So what? Right? I mean, is that, is that really success? I mean, if you build your company or if you grow your church, pastors who are listening to this podcast, if you grow your church and yet you neglect your family and your family... What if you grow your church, but you neglect to do what God has told you to do? Feed God's sheep with God's word. Preach the word. Proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins. Proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Preach what's in accord with sound doctrine. I mean, does it matter how many people show up at your church if you neglect to do the thing, the very thing that God has commanded you to do? I can get a time management lecture just about anywhere. But I can't hear the gospel anywhere falls apart. Is it going to be worth it? See, success in one area cannot compensate for failure in other areas. So I made a decision a long time ago that, that, that I'm going to do whatever it takes to not sacrifice my family on the, on the altar of ministry. And that's why... I've well, that's great that you decided not to sacrifice your family on the altar of ministry. Why don't you tell us about the sacrifice that Jesus did for us instead then? I can care less about the sacrifice you didn't make. Why don't you tell us about the sacrifice that was made for us? I've said before, you guys have heard me say this, that if I ever have to choose between, you know, uh, my ch the church or my family, chances are my family's always going to win that one. They're always going to win. But that's tough because that means, that means I've got to say no sometimes, which makes some people do that. Right? I know it means, it means I gotta say no to some things that I would love to be able to do, right? I mean, it means I can't go to everything that, that's going on at the church. I can't, I can't meet with every person who wants to meet with me. I can't. I mean, if you saw a number of people that want to meet with me, and the truth is, we got an amazing staff here who will do a much better job, and we'll be able to answer questions better. And that's why some of you come to me after church, you're like, hey, can you tell me about the such and such event? I'm like, ah. I don't know. You got to ask so and so because they they know more about it than I do. But see, you know, it means I can't speak at every event that I get invited to speak at. It means I can't uh, do every wedding, every funeral. I can't go to every hospital visit. Okay. Thankfully, we have a great team and we got great leaders in the church that help with these things. But here's the thing: it's sometimes that's tough because people don't understand. And, and they bring their expectations of whatever they had at their last church. But it's like, hey, do you realize that your last, maybe your last church was 150 people, so the pastor was able to know everyone. So it's like, this is different, right? I mean, yeah, and so, and so, you know, here's what I know, okay? At the end of the day, when my kids are grown, when my kids are, have moved on with their lives, okay? He, here's what I know. The church will still be here. People will still be here, okay? Uh, uh, opportunities will still be in front of me, okay? But my kids, now they're going to be gone. And I don't want to miss that. I don't want to lose those moments because you'll never get back the moments you have today. Can I get an Amen. So basically, don't expect him to be a pastor. He's going to take care of his family. And this is all presented rather nicely compared to Perry Noble, uh, the way he presented it. Um, but it, this is all in the I'm See, I'm being a good manager of my time. See, I don't need to know any of you people. I don't even need to preach God's word, really. I mean, just, you know, just add a couple of Bible sprinkles to a time management lecture. And voila, you have something that looks good. 
kind of like a Christian s- s- ser- sermon. Ephesians 5. Let's look at it again. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Here's what I want you to know, okay? Wherever you might be, and I'm guessing if some of you here today, maybe a few of you are mad at me right now, oh well. Um, There's others of you, though, you're feeling bad about your life. And you're looking back, you've got regret. You're feeling like, man, Scott, I have really failed when it comes to managing my time. Listen, it's not too late. It's not too I feel bad because I, I failed in the area of managing my time. Which of the Ten Commandments does that fall under again? But if you have regret, don't worry. It's not too late. Oh, what's the solution, Scott? Please help me. I, I, I'm guilty of procrastinating. What does God's word have to offer me? Please tell me it's not too late. It's not too late. There's hope. I'll close with a story that I heard uh, about a while back about a teacher. Uh, what's my hope? What's the hope? I, I, you say there's hope. Hope for what? Will Jesus forgive me for being a bad time manager? Please offer me some hope here. You just said there's hope, but what? What is the hope? Teacher. This teacher stood before his class with, um, and, and he filled this large glass jar with fist-sized rocks. And when he couldn't get any more rocks in, he asked the class, he said, class, is this, is it full? And the class said, yeah, of course it's full. He said, is this Bible, is this a Bible story? He said, no, it's not full. So, so he reaches down and he grabs this bag of these tiny pebbles and he pours these tiny pebbles in and it fills up the, the jar until all the spaces between the rocks are filled. And, and he, he says, now, is it filled? And the class said, yes, it's filled. No, no, it's not filled. Then he picks up a bag of sand. And he pours sand in, the, in, in, this, in this jar, and, and, and it fills up with sand, and, and he looks at the, the class, he says, now, is it filled? And his class says, probably not, you know. And, uh, and, so, and so then he, he says, you're right, and he reaches, and he grabs a container of water, and he pours water into it until it's at the very, very top, and, and he says, now, it's full. And he says, do any of you know what the moral of the story is? And one of the kids says, yeah, it means you can always uh, you can always cram more things into your schedule if it's too tight. No, no, that's not that's not the lesson. No, 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 no. Okay, let me take a crack at it. Um, the moral of the story is, Scott Hodge, you're full of it. No, no. Here's a lesson. Here's a lesson. Listen, if you want to get the big rocks in, you've got to put them in first. If you want that, that's my big hope. That that's the big hope, huh? If you want to get the big rocks in, you got to put them in first. So you can get them in. Uh-huh. Want the most valuable things to take top priority in your life. You've got to put them in first. Those have to be your first priority. See, and here's the thing. It probably won't be what you think. It probably, it probably won't require the majority of your time, the majority of your attention, because sometimes the important things only take a few minutes. But they've got to go first. Listen, imagine looking back at this next season of your life. 
with, with little regret? Or how about no regret? Okay, I want to point something out here. We are 39 minutes into the sermon, and it is absolutely 100% Christless, crossless, and it's majorly twisting God's word, and it really hasn't taught you what the Bible teaches at all. In terms of how you've managed your time. I mean, imagine being able to look back and having no regret, not, not because of one single day or a single burst of activity, but because, because of a single decision you made. A single decision that, that says, you know what, I'm going to get the full value out of my time by making... This is a new kind of decision theology. This isn't a decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life. This is a decision to put the big rocks into your schedule first. Now... Will everyone please bow their heads and, and those of you who are making a commitment to properly manage your time and making the decision to put the big rocks into your schedule first, please raise your hand. I see the hand over there. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Yes, we're going to be praying. We're going to be praying that the procrastinator's prayer at the end of the service today. So if, if, if you were one of those people who raised their hand and saying that you have made a decision to better manage your time, please repeat after me the procrastinator's prayer. Lord, I confess that I do not manage time well, that I have played the PlayStation, Facebooked, and Twittered when I should be doing my homework and spending time with my family. Lord, I promise I'm going to do better next time, and that from now on, I'm going to put the big rocks into my schedule first. Thank you for kicking me in the buttocks and making me make this decision to better manage my time so that I can make it, uh, make the world an innovative, better place for the, uh, for the people out there and, and have a more, uh, profound exponential impact on, on the greater good of the world at large in my name. Amen. Making these small incremental investments in the things that matter most. On your handout, you'll see a list of words. Would you look at those real quick? There's about four or five words on there at the bottom. Physically, relationally, so, uh, school, work, spiritually. Here's what I want to do. I want, you to, I want to take a, us to take a few minutes right now, and you can, you can t- I want you to take this home too and think about it a little bit more. But I want you to think about these areas of your life for a few minutes. Because I'm just afraid that if we just say, hey, goodbye, and you take that... You know, Scott, I'd like you to take some time and reflect on the sermon area of your life and how wretchedly rebellious you are to what God's Word is telling you to do. At home, I'm just afraid it probably won't get done for many of us. So, so at least let's, let's, let's take a couple minutes to start thinking about these. But here's the question. What, what, what's one thing? Not, not five things, not ten... You know, what's one, even small thing? What's one small thing that wouldn't take very much time that you could be doing in each of these areas that would have a positive cumulative effect what's what's one small thing you could be doing to improve your sermons to actually make them biblical what's one thing you know what 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 small investment in each of these areas can you begin making that you'll be able to look back on and see as a worthy investment of your time what can you begin doing what can you begin doing physically what could you begin doing relation i mean think about this week what could you do starting tomorrow in these areas that will have a cumulative 
value. Maybe another way to ask the question is in, in light of your past, your present, your future hopes and dreams, what needs to change about the way that you're conducting your life right now? What needs to change about the way you're spending your time? Maybe there's some things you need to stop. Would it matter if a Buddhist were delivering this lecture? It's not a sermon. It would. I mean, seriously, could a could a Buddhist deliver this lecture? Yes. Could a could a uh, a Mormon uh, deliver this lecture? Yes. How about an atheist? Yes. How about um? Yeah, seriously, Richard Dawkins could have uh, delivered this lecture. Stop doing. Maybe there's some things you need you need to cancel or you need to say no to. And I'm not talking about bad things. But, but the question is, are they, are they the wise? The thing you need to say no to is this kind of preaching. It's not preaching. Things. Think about this for a second. There's one thing you could do that you aren't doing now that if you did it on a regular basis would make a tremendous impact difference in your life. As you think about that, we're going to close and we're going to worship for a few minutes. We're going to sing that song. Worship whom? And don't sit there and say, well, they're going to worship God. Which one? Uh, the big clock in the sky? I mean, I'm not sure I even know which God they're going to be worshiping at this point. I, I'm clueless. It could be any number of deities, but I doubt it's the biblical one. I haven't heard anything about him. We sang earlier, lift high. And, uh, but before we do that, we're going to pray. And we're, we're going to pray the, the prayer we prayed last weekend before we left. It's that prayer in James chapter 1, verse 5. If you need wisdom, how many of you need wisdom? Man, I need it. We all do, right? If any of you need wisdom, let us be. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would grant the people of Orchard wisdom to throw Scott Hodge out on his butt and to replace him with a pastor who will do the thing that God's word commands him to do, and that's to feed God's sheep with God's word and to correctly handle God's word. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Be stressed about it, right? No. If any of you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. That, that means that if right now sitting in this room, you don't feel worthy to ask God because of something you've done, or you feel guilty because maybe you haven't loved God like you think you should have, or whatever, that doesn't matter. Go to God. Which God? What does God have to offer me except for tips on how to better manage my time? Ask him. He is ready and he is willing to fill you with wisdom. So we're going to do Which God again? I don't know what God you're talking about. Do that. Would you bow your heads with me? No. No, I won't bow my head with you. So there you have it. A full blown. The ultimate question, apparently, about time management. Who knew? Um, you know, it makes me want to open up my Bible. Um, and to read to you the passage of Scripture that really does deal with the ultimate question. Let's see here. Let's see. Aha. Okay. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 13. I read. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? 
Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. On the rock of the confession of Peter, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the ultimate question was answered. The ultimate question is, who do you say that Christ is? Who do you say that Jesus is? The ultimate answer is that he's the Christ, the Son of the living God, come to earth to die on the cross as your substitute for your sins. And he calls you to repentance and the forgiveness of sins and rescues you from the soon-to-be-revealed wrath of God that's coming to earth. That is the ultimate question and the ultimate answer. Sadly, I have no idea what planet or what deity Scott Hodge is coming from and promoting. There's nothing Christian about that sermon. I mean, lecture. Pray that Scott would repent and to do what God has commanded him to do as a pastor. It's laid out so clearly in God's word. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can support us financially by visiting our website, uh, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute a mere $6.95 every month. And that $6.95, when we get to 1,000 listeners, will make it possible for us to pay all of our bills on a monthly basis. It's important for us to do that. Of course, if you'd like to uh, fill in the amount as to how much you'd like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, what would you think? We'd love to get your feedback. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins, every one of them. Amen. Amen.